mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a beautiful description of the one whom you know as the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Lord, your King, he is the one who is a wonderful counsellor. Haven't you been privileged to benefit from his teaching? Mighty God, haven't you experienced his power? Everlasting Father, have you not been aware of his compassion and his love for you all your life, but especially when you came to faith in him? And the Prince of Peace, hasn't he brought you that sense that no matter what is happening, all is well? That's wonderful. Under the reign of Jesus Christ, there is teaching, there is power, there is compassion, and there is peace. That's the kind of king that this world needs. That's the kind of king that sinners like ourselves need. That's the kind of king that the saints of God need. No matter how long they've been following, no matter how long they've been professing, no matter how many years or decades they've been on the road, this is the kind of king that they will always need, a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Tonight, let's look first of all at this wonderful counsellor. This is the story, of course, in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, when Jesus is passing by, he sees, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. That's how John introduces the narrative here. It's not that the disciples see the man first, Jesus saw him as he passed by. And this is the king passing by and seeing this man blind from birth. Of course, when Jesus was in this world, he could only pass so many people by. He could only come into the midst of so many people. There was a limit in how many people he could meet and be with and touch in the years of his ministry on earth. On this occasion, this blind man was privileged to have been seen by Jesus. He, the king, was passing by and he saw him. And because he saw him, the disciples looked at him. And the disciples came out with their question, as we shall see. But then Jesus, he did something wonderful in the life of this man. He would be changed forever. In many ways, it's just like what you had in Isaiah 9. If you think of the blind man, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. That blind man, he became so happy. Joy would have been increased for him. It'd be greater than the joy of harvest. Burdens would be lifted from him. He would no longer need to have somebody take his hand to take him places. And all because the king came into his presence and did wonderful things for him. But the first thing that he did for him is that he was a wonderful counsellor. And it's very interesting, this whole idea of being a wonderful counsellor. What is it that you think Jesus is needed for? If you had to list certain things that you need Jesus for, I'm sure top of the list would be you need him to die on the cross for your sins. Maybe next to that, you need him to be in heaven representing you. And that's also very good. It may be beyond that, you need his power to help you deal with sin, to help you minister and serve the gospel to others. All of that's true, and we'll look at these tomorrow. But you know what you need to begin with is counsel, instruction. You need Jesus to teach. He's a wonderful counsellor. He is somebody who brings instruction, brings teaching, brings teaching that nobody else could do but him. We need King Jesus. And we need him to teach. And the church of Jesus Christ needs the teaching of the king. See, when Jesus came into this world, he only had three years of public ministry. And most of that ministry was spent not doing miracles. It was actually spent teaching, speaking, communicating, sharing, opening scripture, bringing new revelation. He was somebody, he used his lips And he taught. He taught the public to a point where they said, nobody ever spoke like this man. He taught his disciples to such a degree that they were willing to sit and forget that mealtimes had passed by and he would have to make bread for them. Teaching is what attracted the disciples to Jesus. Do you remember when the massive crowd of people were following Jesus? Many of them following because of the miracle, because of the feeding of the 5,000. They wanted to be there beside Jesus. But then Jesus gave them teaching and they didn't like it. The teacher could be rejected. And a massive crowd of people following him left him. Can you imagine what it's like? I don't have many dreams. I don't have many dreams. I do have a few nightmares. And one of my nightmares from time to time is being in a pulpit like this, but probably an older pulpit, like as as it was in Dingwall when I was minister. 
And I'd be preaching facing the wrong way. And I'd be preaching and I was conscious that everybody was going away while I was preaching and I couldn't turn round. And it was a nightmare because I wanted to address the people with the word and they were leaving. Now here's Jesus. He's addressing the people face on. He's got their hearing and their listening. And yet when he has finished that particular address, they up and they off. They leave him. They don't want to hear anything more. And there's a band of 12 people who are left. The 12 disciples. And he says to them, do you also want to go away? Do you want to go away? Do you actually desire to go away? It's a strange question. It's not will you go away, but do you want to go away? And what is it that was said? To whom else shall we go? To whom else shall we go? Is it to whom else shall we go? You're the only one who performs miracles. No. To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It was the message that attracted them. The same message that repulsed so many people attracted these disciples when he was here on earth. Jesus taught. Every village he went to, he taught. There would never be a village, never a town, where he didn't speak, where he didn't give parables, where he didn't expound the message that God had given him to share. He was a wonderful teacher, a wonderful instructor, a wonderful counsellor. And it must have been a wonderful thing for a whole generation of people, for these three years perhaps, to hear such teaching. And yet, most of them shrugged their shoulders and let it go. Let it go. And yet there was this small group of people and they couldn't let it go. If you had asked them, is Jesus your king? Yes. Is he the wonderful counselor? We've never heard anyone speak like him. The words that he has spoken has changed us. We live That message that he brought, brought us into a relationship with God. Well, Jesus is no longer here on earth in the same way as he was 2,000 years ago. Does he still speak? Is he still a wonderful counsellor to you? Has he been speaking to you? Has he been passing by, not in a physical sense, because that's the beauty. When he was here on earth, he could only be in the presence of so many human beings to pass into their presence. But now, he's enthroned over the universe, 
Space is not a problem. Time is not a problem. Crowds are not a problem. He is able to address people so powerfully. How does he do that? He does that through the Spirit of God. His Spirit is here on earth. And his Spirit indwells his people on earth. His Spirit indwells the church on earth. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? What did the church start doing on the day of Pentecost? They started to speak. And they've never stopped speaking since. Sharing this wonderful message that the Lord himself wants them to share. The Spirit of God. And what does the Spirit of God use? He uses the witness of his people. And what is the witness of his people? Can they just make up their own message? No, they can't. He's given them the word of God, the scriptures, and that will define the witness, the message that they share under the Spirit's power, under the reign of Christ, who is the wonderful counsellor. I remember as a young divinity student reading Thomas Boston's biography and the way in which he would pray when he would go and preach he would be praying that Christ the prophet would be present today and that's, that's right he's prophet, he's priest his king. We need his priesthood. We need his kingship. But he is prophet. He is the one who speaks. He calls. When did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Was it just because you called on him? Or is it that he called you so that you could call on him. That's what happened. For every one of the Lord's people, he called you. The wonderful counsellor came into your presence and called you. He became light to you. A light shone upon you in your deep darkness. The light of the world. I dread. I dread that a church will ever come into being. That doesn't need the teaching of the wonderful counsellor. There's always pressure in every age. Whether it be the rituals of the church. Doing away with the teaching whether it be the music, whether it be the high, loud, amplified sounds, whether it be personalities, when people say, that's what we need. We need the ritual, we need the sounds, we need the noise, 
We need the warmth. We need the personalities. That's what we need for the church to grow. And I think the Lord is saying, you need my counsel. You need my instruction. You need my teaching. And the stronger church will always be the church church that treasures the preaching. Preaching. Well, here in John 9, the king, the wonderful counsellor, is passing by and he sees a man blind from birth. The disciples, of course, at this moment, they said, Rabbi, you know, those who like theological discussion. Maybe there are some here who, who love that kind of theological discussion. Who's sin now? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? You know, this cause and effect. So this person's blind, that's the effect. What's the cause? It's not an accident. It's not an accident. This is God's world. And their understanding of God's world is something caused this to happen. Either this man himself sinned so that he would be blind, or his parents committed some sin so that he's born blind. Who was it? And who do they think has the answers? Well, they say, Rabbi, teacher, counselor. You are the one who has the answer to this theological question. How does Jesus answer? It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's the wonderful counsellor at work. He's answering the question. He's explaining things. He's not saying who sinned. It's not saying that the parents or the man was without sin. That would be theologically quite untrue. But that's not what led to this man being blind. It wasn't sin that led to this providence of blindness. You may be going through different things yourself in your life. You may have illness. You may have disappointment and struggles within your family. You may have terrible things happening that have gutted you. And you think... Is it possible that it's my fault? Is it something that I did? Is it my sin? Either my sins of last year or the sins when I was a young Christian? And don't we all look back and say to ourselves, oh, the things that I did when I started following the Lord and I never grew out of them for years and decades And if anybody knew of them, you'd be so embarrassed. And you sometimes see things that have happened in your family, in your own health, or in your own church. Things going wrong and you say, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my sin that led to this. Sometimes you blame your parents. It's things that they did, 
that led to where you are today. This man is definitely blind, but Jesus says, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents. No, there is another reason why this man is blind. It's because God has a work to do so that his glory might be seen. Isn't that amazing? This man was blind from birth because God wanted to display his works, his glory, through the blindness of the man and then the healing of the man's blindness. God is a purpose for what has happened in this man's life. Do you know, we need that kind of teaching today. We need to hear the wonderful counsellor saying to us, it's not all about your sin. It's not that you're not sinners, of course you are. It's not to do with the sins of your church. Of course the church is imperfect. But that's not why these things are happening. That's not why these terrible disappointments come. That's not why these crushing blows hit you. God has a reason. And it's not, hear me, it's not malicious. It's not punishment. He wants to do a work and your blindness, your illness, your difficulties, your suffering is part of that which he will use. Now this blind man went on to be healed. But there will be other people who will not be healed. Joni Erickson Tada, paralyzed so badly as an 18-year-old was she. She was never healed. But God had a work to do through that young girl who has ministered a message down through decades that still shapes our own lives. God has a work to do and a great work to do. And you know, we need the wonderful counsellor to tell us that. Why do I say that? Because there is a species of church in existence on this planet that says, if you are faithful, you'll be wealthy, you'll be healthy. And all will be really rich for you. The health and prosperity gospel. And it's so, so untrue. So, so untrue. I have loved ones just now and they're, they're not well. They're not well. But praying in their presence is a privilege 
not because I'm praying, but it's as if when I'm praying, they are amening everything I say with an even deeper amen than I could ever utter. It's as if they are so close to the Lord in the midst of their trial. These are people who met the wonderful counsellor. And in the midst of their suffering, the wonderful counsellor is saying to them, this is not a punishment. This is not a punishment. This is for my glory. And work, works will be done through what is happening to you that will bring glory to me. What else does a wonderful counsellor say? We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Listen to what the king says here. This is the time for work. I must work. We must work. Why? Because it's daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. What's the king, the wonderful counsellor, saying? This is the day of opportunity. This is the day when we can work so that the works of God are seen. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. See, Jesus says, yes, God sent me. We'll come back to that in a moment. And because God sent him, he must work. But Jesus says, it's not just me. We must work. And you know, the king, the wonderful counsellor, is still saying that tonight. We must work. Nobody comes to be a believer to sit in a chair in a church. We are to work the works of him that sent Christ. We are fellow laborers of God. We are people who are ambassadors for Christ. We are servants of Christ. One day we will meet the wonderful counsellor, the king, in the presence of God the Father. And we will have to give an account of how we have laboured, how we have worked the works of the one who sent Jesus. Night is coming when we can't work, says Jesus. Today, we've got to do what God has called us to do. That's the way it was for Jesus. See, when John the Baptist was baptizing, loads of people were getting baptized. And Jesus, the thought came to him, I must go and be baptized. 
And when he came to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, not a chance. I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Jesus says, let it be so for now. This is fitting. This is absolutely right. That's Jesus saying, we must do this while it is day. Night is coming. When no one can, we've got to do it today. Jesus had to be baptized, identified with his people at that time. More than that, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the process of heading to the cross, he has time. And he has probably a couple of hours. And he spends that time in prayer. And he chose to do that. Because that was the work that God the Father gave him to do in Gethsemane. Before he would ever go to Calvary. He had to do that work in Gethsemane. He had to pray. And he had to say to the Lord, take this cup from me. There's nothing in me that would lead me to want to go down into the torments of hell. But if it's your will, fine. He prayed that prayer. It was a defining moment, just like his baptism was a defining moment. Couldn't pass it by couldn't pass it by. Jesus knew that there were set key things that he had been called to do by the Father. The whole of his ministry, of course, was a commission from the Father, but there were key moments. His baptism, the Gethsemane experience, the death on the cross. Who made Jesus die? Was it Satan? Was it the Sanhedrin? Was it the Roman soldiers? Who made Jesus die? Was it the Father? Or was it Jesus who laid down his life, who bowed his head, And gave up his spirit. Who severed the body of Jesus. From the soul of Jesus. Who did it? Jesus did it. He offered himself. As a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. He couldn't pass it by. He couldn't pass it by. Night comes when no one can work. This has to be done now. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Who raised Jesus from the dead? Was it the Father who raised him by his power? Yes. Was it Jesus who chose to rise? Yes. I lay down my life. 
I take it up again. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This is the command that he received from the Father. These were key moments. This is daytime, he says. We've got to do this work. Night is coming when no one can work. You know, Jesus had priorities. He had opportunities. He couldn't do everything. He wasn't commissioned to do everything. He was commissioned to do what the Father sent him to do. And he did it while it was day to perfection. Well, says Jesus. Well, says the wonderful counsellor. Well, says the king. That's what I want my church to do. I don't want them to do everything. I don't want them to do all that they can do in all the hours of the day. I want them to do the works of God, the works of the one who sent me. Prioritize. Prioritize. And in this occasion, the priority was not theological discussion about the origin of sin. It wasn't theological discussion about where this man's blindness came from. No, he says. That really is not what God wants you to be doing today, my disciples. Get your priorities right. You know, all of us have only one life to live. One life to live. Only so many hours left. You have to prioritize what you're going to be doing. It's been written by someone else. When you know what is important to you, making a decision is quite simple. Your life's decisions will be driven by what's important to you. What's important to you should be shaped by the King who was sent by God the Father. That's where your priorities must find their foundation. And then what does the counsellor say? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See, in verse 4 he said, we must work the works of him. Now he says, I, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See what the wonderful counsellor is doing. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. And you know, this is lovely. Don't you love it when Jesus draws the focus onto himself? Draws a spotlight onto him. He brings in that little word, I. 
I. He brings it onto himself. The light focuses upon him. I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And notice what he's saying. He's the light of the world. Always. Is Jesus still the light of the world? The answer is yes, of course he is. He's been exalted to the throne of the universe for over 2,000 years. Is he the light of the world from the throne of God? Yes, he is. But when he was here on earth, he says, as long as I am in the world, not over the world, but as long as I am in this world, the world that I created, I am the light of the world. There's something that I can do in this world as the light bearer and as the light giver that no one else can do. Nobody else shares that ministry with me. Nobody else fellowships with me in this task. This is something that only I can do because I am one of a kind. I am one of a kind. And didn't John the Apostle agree with that when he said, the word became flesh. We saw his glory. Glory as of the one and only, the one of a kind from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw the glory. We saw the light. He's one of a kind. Nobody else was made to be the light of the world the way Jesus was. And he brought revelation on earth of God that nobody else could ever have done. No Isaiah, no Jeremiah, no Moses, no David could have brought the light that Jesus brought. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He has a revelation to bring of God himself. But not just everything about God, but God bringing the light of salvation into the lives of those whom he's calling to himself. He had no sooner said I am the light of the world. And he spat in the ground, made mud with his saliva, anointed the man's eyes with this mud, told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed and he came back. And he could see. He could see. He saw the light. He could see physically. The light of the world enabled him to see light in the world and to see, as we shall see tomorrow, Jesus himself in his wonderful, wonderful glory. Isn't that what happened to you? When you became a Christian, did you not see 
Jesus in such a way that you couldn't run away from him. You couldn't ignore him. His voice thundered majestically and drew you. His words just entranced you. You just began to listen to the preaching. You began to read the scripture. And it made sense. It's as if you were being spoken to by the wonderful counsellor himself and you began to see things about God that you never understood before. The heart of God became the most beautiful thing that you had ever known. The glory of the heart of God is what drew you to salvation. What a wonderful counsellor. We mustn't have churches that don't talk about Christ. We need talk about Christ. We need messages about the Saviour. I don't know how long you've been a Christian, how many days, months, years, decades... But I know if you're anything like me, you're still saying, I want to see. I want to see more and more. It's not because I haven't seen. It's because I know there's something profound here. Something so attractive here. There's something about the heart of God that I find so lovely that he would love a sinner like me or a blind man like this? Why will you go to the Lord's table tomorrow? It's because the wonderful counsellor has spoken to you. The wonderful counsellor has given you priorities. The wonderful counsellor has revealed the glory of God to you. He's the best king that God could ever have given you. And of course, you will always have your ear open to hear his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask more and more, Lord, that we would hear the the voice, the teaching, the counsel of this wonderful king who is a wonderful counsellor. We know that in Isaiah's day, the king was pathetic, listening to the people, listening to the sounds of war or of rumours of war and not listening to you. But you promised a king who would speak of you who would share with others what he knew of you. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know the heart of God more than any, and you have shared that with us as the light of the world. Continue, Lord, to teach us, to shape us, feed us, Lord. We ask it, 
so that we will live for your glory and work the works of God with you. In Jesus we ask it. Amen.